force. We are dead. We are all dead. We were supposed to make the world a better place. What happened? I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. I know kung fu. You either die a hero or you live long enough to see yourself become the villain. I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. This whole thing is insane. This whole thing is insane. 300 years ago, you'd have been burned at the stake. What do all men of power want? More power. This is now the United States of Zombieland. This whole thing is insane. Man is evil, capable of nothing but destruction. Everybody is stuck with the things that they're not proud of. More power. Welcome to the desert. Of the real. More power. There can be only one. Are you a God-fearing man, Senator? You're such a strange phrase. I've always thought of God as a teacher, as a bringer of light, wisdom, and understanding. You see, I think what you really are afraid of is me. Happy heresies and welcome to the desert of the real. Heresy shouldn't be this much fun, but it is, it just is. Especially with the latest AB Live, audio version for thee in this eternal now. Full preterism is a biblical, eschatological viewpoint holding that all quote end times prophecy in the Bible was fulfilled in the first century, chiefly in the ministry of Christ and the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple in AD 70. The doctrine is considered Orthodox Christian, but could it contain and be contained in Gnostic thought? Could the Nag Hammadi Library host preterist ideology, or is it more symbolic? Let's find out as musician and Baptist minister Sean McMahon materializes at the virtual Alexandria. Expect a broader conversation on Gnosticism and how it manifests in modern spirituality. Thank you to those of you who support this Red Pill Cafeteria. You are amazing in your backing, company, and feedback make this podcast happen in the Black Iron Prison. Alas, subs are down, and like many of you in these challenging times, my income has taken a hit, even as the podcast continues to grow across all channels. If you can support or support more, please do. And as always, if you need this content, just let me know. I'm glad to provide full shows or even temporal subscriptions at no cost for those of you who are struggling financially. We need Gnosis more than ever in this age of Hermes, Philip K. Dick world and Gnostic times. Expect more violence, wars, rising addiction and suicide rates, mass depression, and societal collapse until more look inward while breaking the outward spell of Yaldi Baldi and his Epstein angels. You won't find this high-quality Gnostic and Hermetic wisdom or many of my guests and their unique insights anywhere else in cyberspace or even meat space. 
Don't forget my voiceover availability for any podcast, commercial, audiobook, documentary, or whatever. I'll bring you stellar results with down-to-home professionalism. And don't forget, I do have an Amazon wish list and a fantastic merch store. Just go to thegodabovegod.com or message me. Other than that, let us do our latest AB Live. Write your own gospel, live your own myth, literally or symbolically, as Papa Joe would tell us. Is God one or many? One or many, these are concepts. These are the categories of thought. And the word God is not supposed to refer to a personality. It's supposed to refer past the personality to that which is really transcendent of thought. And the mythic symbols open like that to transcendence. So Jung makes a distinction between the, uh, the word symbol and the word sign. I mean, this is an arbitrary definition that he uses. A symbol is a mythic symbol which has one leg here and the other in infinity. It, uh, it points to the transcendent. A sign points to something here. The, as normally interpreted, God is a sign, not a symbol. <clears throat> the word God refers to what's supposed to be a fact. And then there's that saying I like to quote that came up in the Gnostic period, probably with Yahweh is, he thinks he's God. The, uh, uh, that is to say, he says, I'm it. I'm no symbol. And then, of course, when he's the only one that's it, then everybody else's God is no God at all. <clears throat> In proper language, concretizing the image, concretizing the symbol, is what we call idolatry. So the whole religion, from this standpoint, is an idolatrous system. And perhaps that's because of this, you know, unconscious idolatry of our own that we're seeing idolatry in everybody else and busting idols. Just a little thought for the day. And we are live. Welcome, everybody, to AB Live. My name is Miguel Connor, and I am your pompous of gnosis, that smell of colitas rising through the air of a world gone mad. And for those of you watching on video, this you just heard a little introduction clip about what Gnosticism is, as well as a prayer of thanksgiving from the Nag Hammadi Library. It's a hermetic text. And that is because tonight we will be getting our, our hands dirty with some uh, ancient Gnosticism and other theologies, how they intersect, and it's going to be a fascinating talk. So welcome, everybody. As always, I see you running into the comments section. As always, if you have any questions, please type many question marks or on caps and vents, or I will try to get to you. Obviously, Super Chats, you will get to be on top, and we will certainly get to your questions. If you have any insults for me or Vance, of course, please give us a super chat. We'd be delighted to read your insults towards us. We have no problem being paid and being whores like Sophia in the Kenoma. But tonight, after a very long pause, probably too long, but time just flies, it is a great honor to have back 
Sean McMahon. Sean, thank you very much for coming back on the show, sir. Thank you for having me back. That's it's been almost 10 years. We're I think we did 2014, right? And yeah, fall of 2014. God, it's been a blink of an eye. And uh, I wish I could say the world has gotten better, but it's gone nice <laughs> and nutty, hasn't it, Sean? <laughs> Depends on how you look at it, I suppose. <laughs> Perspective, use it or lose it, as Richard Bach says. So yes. So awesome. Well, hopefully it's been too long. I know we've been trying to get this interview going, but Missed you here, missed there. I had to go out of town and just been a lot of uh, cross wires, but it just means the Holy Spirit meant us to have this talk now. And uh, here we are, and hopefully it won't be another eight years the next time we talk. So with us too, as always, it's great to have the Moondog Vance. Vance, how are you doing? Uh, Not too bad. After a long day work, as I always say, looking forward to hearing about this, a different slant on things. It is indeed. Yeah, it's a theory that I remember back when I was a Roman Catholic about 20 years ago in the old PHP forums arguing with people. And it was always I was always very fascinated by uh, preterism. So, uh, well, we should get started on it. Uh, although, first of all, Sean, why don't you tell the audience a little bit about yourself and uh, what you are about or what you're doing these days? Yes, sir. Well, when we first met, uh, it was 2014, and I reached out to you because I'm a musician, and in 2014, I had just completed and was about to release a concept album called Ion Zelig Volume 3, and it was a Gnostic concept album. So you have a commenter, Nicole Berkeley, saying, Miguel, you got to put together a playlist of Gnostic music. Nicole, look up Workman's Song. Ion Zelig Volume 3, because that was a heavy-duty Gnostic concept album, um, including an entire robot poem piece uh, called Sophia is Smiling, but Mm. uh, the robot pronounced it Sophia, because thanks, Steve Jobs. Um, So (laughs) since then, those were my Brooklyn days, and I think I was piping in uh, from, from a small, like, horse style horse stall style um brooklyn loft that you know i shared with like i think 12 other people um i i've much i like to think i've matured a bit since then i i don't live in a horse stall in brooklyn anymore (laughs) i i have a wife daughter and we have another daughter on the way and um i i've been you know doing the music thing all these years but i I got pulled into uh, the pulpit at the Baptist church uh, where I've been attending the past few years because in 2020, the world went haywire and uh, my church was one of the few churches that decided to just keep going when everyone else was kind of closed down. We're a small church, so people weren't really that concerned about exposure and all that stuff. Um, And so they called me into the pulpit because they knew that I like to read books, you know, <laughs> and, and them's was my qualifications. And uh, it, it's been an interesting trip. Now, this, this church uh, that, that I'm at, it's called the Community Baptist Church of Gayhead. Gayhead is the old name. And I don't know why people are making jokes. Beats me. Um, but it's its proper name now is Aquina, which is the original Wampanoag name, because it was uh, founded by members of the Wampanoag tribe, 300 30 years ago, and it's the longest standing Native American founded church in the nation. So 
there's a lot of room for what I dare might call syncretism uh, in this church and in its mm-hmm. history. And uh, I've discovered, I, I've never been particularly denominational, but I've discovered that the Baptists, basically each church kind of has its own set of beliefs, at least in the uh, Northern uh, Baptist swing of things. And they so, vote for their minister. If they don't like you, they vote you out, right? They can throw me out and they, yeah, they ordain me. And, uh, I, you know, I didn't need the Pope to to give me permission. <laughs> it's It's been an interesting ride because, you know, as you know, Miguel, uh, you're challenged to create content every week and to um, be a vessel of the Holy Spirit, you know. And, it, you know, it never disappoints. It's fun work. Um, but I've, I, my journey into Christianity was backwards. Uh, I was born Jewish, but brought up uh, agnostic. And uh, Christianity was the last thing I wanted to be involved with. I just thought it was a joke for most of my life. Uh, and I only got into it because uh, in 2006, when I was kind of just on the right part of my spiritual journey, the Gospel of Judas was published. And I said, what the hell is this? And uh, I got into the Nagamadi and I said, well, this, this Jesus is not what I expected. And it, it was the Nagamadi that opened me up to reading the, uh, the canonical Bible. And I said, you know, I don't, see, I don't see what the hubbub is about. I think this is the same guy in both of these sets of books. And I kind of hold the same position. There's a little more nuance to it for me personally now. But, you know, as the rabbis say, there's usually four polar opposite interpretations to everything and they're all correct mm. <laughs> so that's that's a, that's me in a nutshell as austin Powers said <laughs> yeah i think it was uh, niels bohr who said uh the opposite of a profound truth can also be a profound truth so you must have gotten it from the the old rabbis too and yes i like your music your song varmint is still on my playlist nice. my main playlist i like to listen to it about once a month it's a very powerful, uh, yeah, Gnostic song. So I would check out Sean's music. It's it's really nice and has a lot of spirituality and a lot of Sophia in it. <laughs> Sophia. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so it must be challenging because, yeah, I understand I write these introductions and so forth. You've got to come you've got to come up with uh, how long of a speech or how much mm-hmm. of a – I know – Catholic priests, sometimes it's hard because I remember priests telling me, man, I got to come up with something every night because they do, some priests do mass every night. That's right. So they got to right. come up with a cool sermon every night. And that's, that would be, that, w- that was the hardest part of their day, stressing out about what am I going to write? Yeah. And repeat them. Maybe they repeat them, you know. <laughs> yeah. I've yeah. been told that, that I can and should do that. And I, I haven't quite yet. What I do, because I'm a musician, uh, I took a cue from you know music style doing this. I do cover sermons. Sometimes <laughs> I'll cover you know like Saint uh, Augustine or or people like that. I'll do some classic sermons. I, I like to go further back because the further back you go, the more esoteric it gets, and things get the right kind of weird, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. Well, you can always just say, "Give me money or go to hell." That that, that might work too. No. I doubt I'm sure it. Sure, they um, keep voting me in. Yeah, who knows? Who knows? Yeah, and it's interesting about the Jesus thing because I know on other shows there's still this resistance to get rid of the the word Gnostic or Gnosticism and just mm. called it alternative Christianities or 
you've heard of Vance Demiurgis, evil Demiurge, biblical Demiurge. And it's like, uh, I don't think that's going to work as we were talking, Sean, as uh, Dan McClellan said, all models that, what did he say? The map is not the territory when it comes to ancient Christianity. All models are probably wrong, but some models are useful. The Gnostic model has been useful for scholarship moving forward and trying to understand the Nag Hammadi library and other texts. But the one that you can't deny, too, is that there's like two Jesuses. And you let, let me know your thoughts, of course. There's the one who died for your sins or who, who the suffering servant uh, died and, the, and you know destroyed the archons because they broke the cosmic rules, whatever you want to call it. But then there's a Jesus that brings you information that wakes you up. So, for example, you find that in the Gnostic Gospels. Some people might say, well, the Gospel of Thomas is not Gnostic. There's no Archons or Yaldabaoth or Sophia. And you say, yeah, but this Jesus is not dying for your sins. He's giving you this special information that lifts up the veil, the illusion of reality, so you can see Eden or paradise or who you truly are. So there's almost these two Jesus, the the, the giver of mysteries and the dying and rising God-man. So that's, uh, what do you think of this? Well, I, I suppose from my point of view, they're, they're reconciled because you know, and this could be the the gateway to full preterism discussion because, you know, as I understand it, um, sure, there's a lot of mystery that he talks about in his discourse, especially in the uh, the Gnostic writings. Um, mm -hmm. But he talked about it, and and he's kind of the head of like the most popular religion on the face of the earth for the past two thousand years. So it's all in the open. He cracked that that open and. You know, we can't deny that uh, mystery religions don't kind of, they kind of hesitate to say this because it could be, you know, taken the wrong way, but they don't really carry the same weight they used to when that was really secret, you know? And, you know, I I, I find it fascinating because I, I know like uh, Siddhartha Gautama, like the Buddha did, he did the same thing in his own time uh, before Christ. It, it just happens that historically, you know, you, you got to give credit where credit's due. And, and you know, as Louis C.K. pointed out, he's like, who won the religion war? Well, what year is it? <laughs> right? Like, so, you know, it's, it's a historic fact that a lot of who we are today is going to trace back to the most popular ideas. And, you know, yes, part of what popularized Christianity was get baptized because your, your sins are going to be forgiven. But once you're in the club, you know, you know, you're going to hear these mysteries revealed and mm -hmm. there's all these varying levels of challenges that you can, you know, you as a believer or you as a Gnostic, however you want to look at it, you can kind of get into all these different angles of what the Jesus was talking about. And it, it can get pretty far out, can it? Yeah, yeah, it's quite a labyrinth. And I think we don't want to go too much into that labyrinth because it would last uh Better let's stay down. specialized yeah, and, and hit some of the notes. All right. Well, why don't we talk about the main event tonight, which is preterism, or you say full preterism, because by saying that, you're saying that there are levels of preterism, too. So let, let us know. Give us, the, give us the dope here. Sure. I will try to be a good ambassador for <laughs> what is now kind of a community of full preterists. 
Um, and full predators are distinguished from just plain preterism because plain preterism is kind of baked into the cake of all forms of Christianity because pretty much every Christian believes that Jesus Christ fulfilled prophecies, right? Uh, he fulfilled the prophecy of the suffering servant of the coming Messiah. And that's why he is who he is, right? So there's always some preterism in, in every Christian cake. Uh, full preterism comes in all shapes and sizes because it's kind of, there's no uh, catechism, bro, right? It's it's all over the place. I don't know how yeah. old it, it is. It seems to be kind of an emerging uh, study community on the internet, but the the basis of it, the meat and potatoes, is that every prophecy in the canonical Bible uh, has been fulfilled and specifically uh, was fulfilled in the first century uh, by the ministry of Christ through that period leading up to the destruction of Jerusalem. And uh, full preterists uh, align with some of the early church fathers in in identifying that stroke of awful destruction over um, the city of Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple as being what Jesus and the prophets referred to as the coming of the Son of Man, the day of judgment, right? Even the resurrection, uh, which is a very deep dive, uh, and it's very, it gets kind of esoteric. Um, but what I've found is that the esoteric is less intimidating to the Gnostic community. So I'm finding, you know, I go into my full preterist community and I say, has anyone looked at the Nag Hammadi? Because the preterist community is very, very much concerned with, you know, the word aeon or ion, you know, like, mm -hmm. because they're talking about the end of the age, right? They, they would say this book of revelation isn't about a future end of the world when vladimir putin you know nukes everybody right it's it's uh it's concerned with the end of the age of the covenant of moses transitioning into the covenant of jesus uh which is basically the constitution right of the kingdom of god you know so that's what they consider to be uh, the end of the age. Uh, and as you know, as you may or may not know, the, the language in the Greek, in the Bible is the end of the aeon, right? right? And that is a very comfy word for uh, Gnostics. And and I, I, I've in turn gone back into my Gnostic communities. Like, has, is anyone familiar with this concept of the end of the age? Because what I, what I think I'm starting to detect and I'm just in the beginning of this inquiry is that there's a compartmentalization of understandings about this word. Like it's like one or the other for each community. And I think there's a little more of, of uh, multiple angles of meaning to this single word that include both, both like as Aeon as a measure mm -hmm. of time and Aeon as an emanation, because it has a similar sense of being a generation. You can speak mm -hmm. of Aeon's, uh, in terms of people, generations of people, aeons of people. And and that, of course, is definitely how the Gnostics use it. They talk about aeons of the Godhead and the Ogdwad and <laughs> however, however you want to say it. So it, it, gets, uh, it, it gets interesting if you want to start examining the overlap because basically it, your position uh, as a first century Christian after the um, destruction of Jerusalem would basically be that, well, there's no more mystery, right? In Revelation, it says the mystery of God is finished. And if the mystery of God is finished, then it's actually no longer a matter of faith, 
all these promises. If they're fulfilled, then they're all facts. And if they're all facts, then Jesus and truth becomes what, I forget which Gnostic writing said this, but he becomes a fruit of the tree. Uh, he becomes a fruit of the tree of knowledge that's like a fruit of life. I just completely. Yeah, yeah. I think that's, it. yeah, Gospel of Philip, I believe. Yeah, yeah what is it exactly? I think he it is the gospel. Like, he, he was the fruit of the tree of life who became like a fruit of the tree of knowledge for us. Yeah, like yeah, that's it, yeah. He brought them together. And the idea being, like, you can just look in history and discover the revelation of the Godhead, you know, in, in these forces, in these stories, you know, in this parable, this historic parable. Fascinating concept, eh? <laughs> yeah, no, it makes sense. And I should mention, yeah, you were talking about the Aeon. In uh, the Mendeans, I think they call the Aeons the Uthras. I'd confuse this people because to the Mendeans, an Aeon, and I guess that's what the classical Gnostics believe, but an Aeon can be a time, a place, and a state of being. And mm -hmm. I don't mean synonyms, but I'm talking about these un three ontological realities that exist at once. To us, right. it's hard because we still think in linear times, you know, something is something and that's it. To them, it was no problem. So even in the Nag Hammadi library, you see Sophia is within the Aeon Elalith. And there are things that happen because there's a time, but this Aeon is also a being in itself that does things. So mm -hmm. I think... Um, for early Christians, it wouldn't have been an issue at all. For us, it's we're kind of. I agree, and I think you know when we talk about categories like Gnosticism, etc. Like I think one thing that categorizes uh, Gnosticism uh, in, in the way we think about it is the fact that we just leave a lot of words untranslated. And you know, if we were, if we knew Syriac, we'd be like, oh, we don't have to call it that. You know, like we don't have to call it Galdabog. We don't have to call it this. We don't have to call it that. <laughs> There's a lot of things that once you translate them, you're like, wait a minute, Jesus said that in the Gospel of John. Like he, right. St. Paul said that in, in Romans, in Hebrews. Like there's a lot of stuff that even just simply hinges on translation um, and, you know, which books are left out, you know, because <laughs> there, there's, there's, there's the, there's the Nag Hammadi, there's the Bible, but then there's also like the stuff in between. You got your Apocrypha, you know, like, I sound like a salesman. You, know? you got a lot of, yeah, stuff, all the stuff Yeah. Yeah, true. Uh, what did you write, Vance? Do you think that there should be a new book called The New Testament, The Return? Like, yeah. <laughs> like Jesus is going to come out of the electrical socket or something. <laughs> right. Yeah. There'll be a good Jesus and a bad Jesus, right? Just like uh, Dougie. <laughs> Dougie, yeah. <laughs> Awesome. So I guess some would be asking, I'm sure here comes a question. It's obvious. Uh, book of, if everything was fulfilled, Jesus with the destruction of the temple, we leave it, we live in a new age now, everything's the new Christian age. So what about the book of Revelation? That talks about the destruction of the temple and all that, or uh, aye, aye, that's, sir. Uh, yeah. that's it, I simple as that? I would direct you and your viewers to my YouTube video on my Workman Song YouTube channel. It's called Full Preterism, uh, Full Preterist Eschatology 101. And I tried to break it down. Uh, and there's a few videos off of that. But a few first principles. Time statements are a big deal. So when you when you see 
in the book of Revelation several times, you know, it's the angel who appears to John or John himself says like, I was shown what is to come, what is swiftly about to happen. Jesus says, I am coming. Behold, I am coming soon. And if, you, if you're fluent uh, in the Old Testament, you realize that pretty much every, not pretty much, precisely every prophecy in the book of Revelation is from the Old Testament prophecies. And one thing you'll notice in the Old Testament prophecies, which were from about like 600, 500 BC, Daniel, he's told, this is not going to happen for a long time. <laughs> this is going right. to, and in fact, it says when it's going to happen. It says it's going to be, you know, 70 weeks of, of seven years. Um, so it, it's pretty precise. You know, it's like, this is going to happen in like 500 years, right? And then book of Revelation comes out roughly AD 64-ish is what I think. Um, and it kind of recapitulates these prophecies, except it says, Behold, this is happening soon, you know, so be prepared. And you kind of can't ignore that because, you know, also Jesus says um, in, in the Gospels, he says, you know, everything that has ever been done against the saints, like that, like pissed off God, God is going to rain down vengeance on this generation. Right. Yeah. And then he talks about the end of the world. It's called the Olivet Discourse or the end of the age. Right. And he says, um, this generation will not pass away until all these things are fulfilled. And he's referring to all things in, in the law and the prophets. So you kind of, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm a Jesus guy. I'm a Jesus freak. So I always frame it in terms of Jesus's credibility. That's how I frame it to other Christians. Um, Jesus's credibility is obviously, uh, you know, up in the air for people who don't believe. But I always say, like, listen, the man said this. So if you if you really say you believe him then why are you putting this off like he said this was going to happen this generation how can you you're basically saying his wrong like c.s lewis said that jesus was just wrong you know mm -hmm. that he made like he made one mistake and <laughs> you know generally speaking you don't say that jesus made mistakes right it's like if he did then what maybe he made other mm -hmm. ones too so you know i'm a nutcase i'm one of those nutcases who thinks he made zero mistakes you know because uh, I'm a believer, you know, um, but that's, that's, you know, how it goes. And when Revelation basically is talking about Babylon and the fall of Babylon, that is uh, kind of ironic. There's a better word, but uh, it's language that refers to Jerusalem. And when they're talking about the beast, the land beast, the sea beast, right? These, these are Hebrew idioms that refer to, you know, the system, right? The system. So the land beast is the domestic, you know, the, the Israel system, the priesthood, which was a puppet government of the sea beast, which was Rome, right? right. And so it was, it's, it's all this stuff. I mean, there's there's a lot of decoding uh, to get into, but uh, another first principle is scripture interprets scripture. So if you're not sure about this a phrase you see in Revelation, you got the internet now. You can cross-reference it. It's It's usually in the Old Testament and all this stuff lines up. And it helps make these things clear. Yeah. So that's, that's some interpretive principles. Awesome. So, and basically if, so now after everything was fulfilled and all that, so now we live in the age of Christ or this is it. So yeah. some people might say, well, the world still sucks for the last 2000 years or what changed? I guess you could say spiritually, we have an avenue out of here or what? Because, uh, 
It's a good question. And this ain't paradise, my friend. There, there are different takes on that, and and maybe one take I take is um, the sweet by and by. Like we're kind of used to that as a cliche, and if you look into some of the ancient uh, mystery religions, Aboriginal religions prior to Christ, there's not a lot of people talking about the afterlife being a nice place to be, no. right? So the idea that you can be one. Uh, divinized, experienced theosis, theosis in this life, meaning like you can become like God, which is a ancient Christian idea. It's still alive in the Christian East. You know that that's significant that you can have this kind of you know perfection, sanctification. But what's probably more significant than we give credit to, especially in a world where secular culture kind of presumes the sweet by and by like whether you believe in heaven or not everyone's like i'm gonna go to heaven when you die maybe lots of people believe that well no not everyone always believed that and so long story short uh if if you have this concept of you know the kingdom come you know and the cross right the intersection of god's realm and our mortal realm and if all of a sudden post Christ, there's this concept that when you die, you might actually be able to be present with God and continue living in some sense, like not be reincarnated, not just be like lifeless in the, in the void, but continue living. And that your living in that realm is going to intersect with, you know, the material cosmos, which sucks and is mortal and is corrupt. Well, there is some kind of redemption there because that means that everything that sucks now, our suffering happens for a reason. And it's basically just like our we're being hammered into something greater, right? And we're being chiseled into glorious saints of like friggin' light, right? <laughs> like that's that's kind of the the uh, you know, the Catholics call redemptive suffering. And right. I mean it to me like hearing myself say that, I think it actually sounds like a cop-out because it's a little cliche in our culture. But I think that is, again, it's like Louis C.K. style. It's like, yeah, it is a given. That's how influential these ideas are. It really changed the world. So some people would say, you know, everything's fulfilled. Some full preterists say like, it's an invisible kingdom, right? And everything I said applies. But then there's also an element of this in like Catholicism where it's like everything's fulfilled and we are the kingdom on mm. earth. And there's that element too of, of uh, Christendom. Right. I mean, I think it's kind of like what you said, like it's a little bit of both and also neither. Right. It's just, it's just how we respond to the impetus of whatever the spirit of God is trying to tell us, which is, you know, nothing that we in this mortal realm can deal with anyway, right? We'd all just burn alive if if, if it fully <laughs> fulfilled us, you know. Just... Right, right, right. You know, I've noticed that um, almost all the religions, uh, or, or at least mostly, uh, describe the afterlife as just the absence of the bad stuff in the material world. They never really get along like, um, let's take, for example, the pearly gates in heaven, the clouds and the angels and the harps and the streets of gold sounds very boring i mean what are people going to do you know i, I mean what where, where are the challenges you know where's the creativity there's like usually people don't um you know the, the religions don't talk about that they just want to chase you away from the mortal world but they don't want to attract you they don't have much to attract you to the to the afterlife mm -hmm. the valhalla yeah. you'll be drinking and have you 
you know, ah. beautiful <laughs> maidens that'll take care Tyler of Tyler Childers? Yeah. No. Tyler Childers just released a great song called, like, I hope they, I can't remember exactly what it's called, but it's, I hope they let me bring my hounds to heaven. And <laughs> he made this great video of, of it, and it's just this drunk guy gets kicked in the head by a mule, and he's in heaven, and he's hanging out with all of his favorite drunkard country star, you know, <laughs> idols. And they're all just getting hammered, you know, with Jesus. And it's like Jesus said, you know, they gave John the Baptist crap because he fasted too much. Now they're giving me crap because I drink too much, you know. So, <laughs> you know, we're we're going to be drinking for sure. Yeah, there's no <laughs> football to watch or anything. There's no sports. So, right? I never heard them say, yeah, it's going to be television. Well, I, sports I, and- I would I would assert that you can watch any any game you want, you know, through history. Time travel, bro. Anything's oh, possible. That's what the mortal world is for. So <laughs> give sports to the people yeah. in heaven. <laughs> that's you and him fight <laughs> you can watch the ben-hur chariot race over and over vans if you we're back to the archons then that's what the archons like to do right <laughs> yeah maybe maybe we become the archons who knows who knows <laughs> who knows we shall find out sorry for the digression i just had to <laughs> right on point bro <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Great. Uh, now, the one thing, too, to address, and this is, again, back in my days as a Roman Catholic, kind of a New Age Catholic, early in the 21st century, I can say that, early in the 21st, like it was a long time ago. But it was, uh, we'd be in these PHE forums, and it, it was very ecumenical, Catholics arguing against Mormons and Baptists and Muslims and Jews, but I always remember the preterists would get attacked a lot by the Jewish members, because the Jewish members would be like this preterism is sort of cancel, canceling our religion. The Tanakh doesn't matter anymore. The Torah doesn't matter. You're kind of washing us out of God's plan. And we th- they used to think that was a bit dangerous. What do you say to that? Well, uh, I'm Jewish myself. So all I can say is that it was my investigations into my own inheritance. I was trying to figure out how the heck did my family get here mm-hmm. right my mama uh she was the first one to marry a uh, gentile right so it's like well this is our only origin story you know it's like my my uh, father's irish so we have you know stories mythologies histories like that's one side it's like i'm stuck with the bible for half of my family's origin story and, and so what you're referring to is uh replacement theology that's replacement it yeah, theory, yeah they used to yeah. say Said, yeah, well said, like a replacement theology. They used to type that in the forums a lot, yeah. Yeah, no one's no one's asked me about that before. In fact, on my full Preterist Eschatology videos, some, I think it was a bot now, but maybe it was a troll, called me a Zionist. I'm like, that's not normally what, what Preterists get, get pinned for. Um, I, I think, honestly, it's, it's a difficult uh, question because obviously I made my personal decision based on what I felt I encountered, which was mm-hmm. like, I, I was searching for my uh, Jewish identity and I felt like, well, okay, the story being told here is about this kingdom of God thing. And I feel like this is the shape that it took. But that said, I, I think the kingdom of God thing is incredibly universal. And, you know, one thing that I never ever vibed with, uh, when I was, you know, trying to pursue, uh, a Jewish religious lifestyle. I, I just couldn't wrap my head around the justification for what made me special, right? Like, how am I a chosen person? What exactly am I supposed to be 
doing? Like, am I special because of my genes or am I special because of this inheritance of faith? You know, and I started to discern through study, like, well, we're special because of this inheritance of faith or this deposit of information, right? And uh, so it's more of like a shepherding of a story thing. And, you know, the whole Jesus thing, it's its all about the, the circle, the cross, the alpha, and the, the omega, mm-hmm. that we're all kind of, we all started in the same place and we're all going to go to the same place. And if, if there's ever, if, if that statement is ever con- uh, contradicted, then some evil has taken place, right? Because we're all from the same place. We're all going to the same place. And uh, lucky for us, I mean, that's the God or in the Gnostic community, the God beyond God, right? But it's, it's the, the great special, the great mm-hmm. special thing that George Carlin called the great electron. the source the font the the font yeah the ground of being yeah the The font or the fonts the fonts fonts. (laughs) well you know just because all the prophecies have been fulfilled already doesn't mean that something like the bible doesn't have a lot of valuable lessons and 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 some sort of universal facts that are timeless you know, maybe right. they're examples. So I, I don't see how, how people could say that. Um, all right. Well, since the prophecy is all done, throw the book out. That's like having like a, a manual for a car. Well, they already built the car, so I'll throw the <laughs> manual out. <laughs> well said. I agree. I agree. Absolutely. hundred percent. Yeah. And of course there's a lot of wisdom and uh, I guess, um, yeah, the question, full preterism doesn't re- really make a judgment call on who gets saved and who doesn't get saved. It's still, that's up in the air, up to the individual, up to the church. Yeah, that's kind of what I'm picking up, yeah, in the community. Because some full preterists seem to be close to fundamentalists, because in, in some ways it's it's the most literal reading of the Bible if a literal reading can include... Um, allegory and symbolism you know it's like it's just it's very strictly maybe a better way to put it is it's almost like you're an autist right you're like just purely looking at the symbols and say okay well this symbol is in daniel this one is revelation they must be the same and so you know that's one of the criticisms against full preterism that's like well what if you know what if the four beasts of daniel are not exactly the same beasts of revelation like what if Mm -hmm. It's an intentional poetic recapitulation that's, you know, intended to be something referring to our future that hasn't happened yet. And it's like, mm. it's you know, you, you that's a fair argument. I just don't agree with it. You know, here I stand. You know, I can I can do no more. <laughs> there you go, as uh, Martin Luther said very wisely. Uh, Vince, any questions for you? Any uh, question from the audience? Yeah, I got a big one. I don't see any from the audience on the preterism yet, but um, in Revelation, how about you know the all the different seals that you know uh, uh, the, the the preterists have, and the, let's say the full preterists have explanations for all the things. Like I, I've got it right up here: uh, um, the the uh, widespread death on Earth and and cosmic disturbances and the stars falling out of the sky. I mean, this, I, I don't think that happened, uh, you know, back in, you know, the, the uh, first and second centuries or whatever. So um, what do they say about that? How do they tie that in? Well, the, the seals, uh, I, I can try to give you what I would say to that and it'll be general. I'm not like a, 
I can quote every verse off the top of my head, guy. But what I can tell you is, you know, seals, uh, prophecies are sealed when they're supposed to be fulfilled afar off, right? Yeah. So there, there's this idea of um, the seven last trumpets, right? And they're connected to the seven seals. And um, oh, yeah. if, if, if you if you actually look at the math, um, there's basically a jubilee cycle between Christ's coming and the, the destruction of Jerusalem, which is periods of seven years. There's seven yeah. of them. So when they're talking about the seven trumpets, those could have been referring to the literally the trumpets of the new year or the jubilee okay. right and then yeah a lot of those plagues uh are definitely symbolic and and they go back to old uh, old testament uh symbolism uh like famine is pretty straightforward but there's one like locusts on the land and that would definitely re- refer back to the old testament understanding of armies um and you know when you see destruction to the land versus the sea that's referring to domestic versus abroad right um and what else do you see um heaven and earth that's another interesting topic if you want to get into that like just a few you know a few things y'all can look into there's this correlation between the heaven and the earth and the temple itself where if you go through some of the psalms and a few other places in the old testament um the temple is called heaven and earth at times mm. and so when they're talking about the destruction of the heavens and the earth and the heavens being rolled up like a scroll, what they're saying is the scroll of the temple is being rolled up as in the story is being folded up and done away with. Right. Uh So there's these little, little uh, idioms like that, that how about the stars from the sky? That that's, that's an interesting one. The stars are going to fall from the sky and every mountain and Island was moved out of its place, all that type of thing. Yes, sir. Um, stars, sun, moon, those, those usually uh, correspond to rulers. And, uh, yes. and, and and basically the heavens being shaken often talks about, you know, like if, if we said that the stars were falling, you know, uh, on, on TV, like then we'd know that we were talking like, oh, Brad Pitt, you know, like he's, <laughs> he fell from grace kind of thing. Or Definitely. like, you know, like Pre- President Biden, like, you know, the heavens are being shaken right now. Like we're watching the world change and, you know, there's a change of guard kind of taking place. Mm-hmm. Um, but but also for what it's worth, I would point anyone to um, the, the histories of Eusebius, the first church historian who relied heavily on the writings of Tacitus, a Roman historian, as well as mm-hmm. Josephus, who was a Jewish Roman historian. And uh, Josephus uh, wrote uh, a history of the Jewish war, which is the war that took place basically in those final years leading up to the destruction of Jerusalem. And he talks about a lot of things that um, not only full preterists now, but the early church fathers would refer to and say, this fulfilled such and such prophecy of Christ or the, or the prophets. And some of it's eerie. Like it says that a, uh, Heifer, I believe, walked into the temple one day and gave birth to a lamb. And that, you know, there was also a loud crash and that voices or a voice uh, said, let's get out of here. Uh, And referring to the temple, there was some sort of presence that left the temple. So there's all all sorts of spooky stuff if you want to get into these surely reliable ancient histories, right? (laughs) Because... You know, like you never know. You never know. You know, that's yeah. 
Uh, yeah, you showed me uh, an important thing, which is the, the symbolic interpretation that that can cover a wide range of of things. Of course, some of these, then you could say the prophecies, the prophecies were kind of cheating because a lot of these things, if you interpret them symbolically, are happening all the time, right? Rulers are always getting deposed. You know, yes. famines are always happening. Locusts come every so many years. So it's absolutely. an easy, yeah, easy absolutely. job being a prophet. You just got to tune in. I think <laughs> I think that's why we have like a new end of the world date every year. You know, oh, oh, sure it's going to happen in just a few months. Just make sure you send all your money. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so instead of the return Vance is the rerun, <laughs> the rerun of the end of the world. And of course you have, uh, you've got your secular apocalypses Armageddon. Remember Y2K? I knew a lot oh, of people yeah. fit into, of course, climate change. I don't care what, where you stand on it. I remember 1992 Al Gore. I read his book, uh, Earth on a Balance. I was really young and I was freaking out. I'm like, oh, this is it. This is it. Al Gore says in six years we're dead. And I keep seeing these prophecies keep going. And you'll, we'll get it right. You'll see. And Christians do the same. Muslims do the same. Wait and see. We'll get it right this time. And, uh, oh, I know. I mean, so, I've seen um, some wild stuff because... I mean, in 2020, I, I saw we live we live on Martha's Vineyard, which is kind of a it can be a challenging place to live year round because uh, we have a housing crisis and, and all that stuff. You know, a lot of us are working. You made the news it. recently a couple of we, weeks ago. We did. Happy to talk about that. But that's all I was saying. 2020 people, some people in the Christian community thought the world was coming to the end. So they they mm -hmm. flew the coop. They went and you know did different things. They wanted to hide out in different places. So these beliefs, you know, they can drive behavior. And, and one of my biggest fears is like, oh my God, what if, what if we do have leaders in power who take the attitude, well, the world's going to end anyway. So press the button. Yeah. Press the button. Yeah. Cause then the there, nuclear missiles out. Yeah. There's, there's definitely that belief out there that they're, they, they're waiting for conflict in the middle East because that means Jesus will come back you know, rule from Jerusalem and, and, that's an attractive thing uh, if that's your belief, right? Kind of terrifying to me. I don't think I'd rather not get into a nuclear war myself, but uh. no, I can't believe it's you know that scene from uh, uh, Lord of the Rings where the Orcors looks like meat is back on the menu, boys. I cannot believe that in my 50s, and I'm going. Looks like nuclear war is back on the menu, boys. I thought we were done with this narrative, and now uh, some have said we are closer to <clears throat> the Cuban Missile Crisis. Uh, you know that midnight clock? It's, it's starting to tick pretty fast, and I'm looking around. Is nobody seeing this insanity, how we're just fumbling towards self-destruction, annihilation? Yeah, I mean, obviously we've treated the world like shit. So the world eventually is going to burp back at us. There's no mm -hmm. doubt. And we've tried to kill each other with wars, but this is getting pretty prickly. I would say, uh, yeah. is your con is your congregation nervous at times about all this? Oh, I'm sure. I mean, regardless of the end times beliefs, uh, it's, it's nerve wracking. I mean, it's heartbreaking mm -hmm. to see, um, I mean, where are the peacemakers, right? Like, you would at least hope that there'd be some uh, diplomacy, um, but you know there's there seems to just be war drums banging, and uh, I I don't know how how we've lost sight of the ball so much. You know, like 
regardless of, of whose side you're on in, in the politics, I mean, the world is a fragile place and peace is difficult. You know, it takes a lot of responsibility. Um, and I, th I think we just all got to be asking God for help, praying to God or the God beyond God, you know what I'm saying? Um, and just trying to figure out what f like fierce love is. Cause you know, we've had this whole like nice Jesus thing. That's just kind of made us all pushovers and kind of passive losers. <laughs> like I, I, I really think, you know, if, if nuclear war is on the table, then we have to be fiercely loving, right? Like we have to be standing for, for our civilization, man. And, and anyone, anyone banging a war drum does not stand for me, does not stand for me. And do, do what you will, right? That that's, that's the position we have to take. That's all I mean. <clears throat> Love man. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I, I still haven't done a show on this, but there, I don't know if you heard Sean, but there is a conspiracy that said all nukes are fake, oh. that it was a, a, an invention <laughs> to I keep us docile that. and wishful thinking. Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, nuclear I'm reactors are fake too, right? <laughs> I would, I would, I would hey, if you believe you're warm and it's lighting up your house, then it's real. <laughs> I, I've heard that. And, uh, I've heard that. I, I didn't. Believe, I, <laughs> I didn't believe it, um, and I'm. I would be happy to be wrong. I would be thrilled to be wrong. But yeah. But besides, I mean, even, even if there are no nukes, there's. We have worse stuff now, anyway. We can do yeah, plenty of stuff. I mean, we. Yeah, we got the, chemical the weapons, that, and don't forget, in World War II, we could firebomb a German city or a Japanese city and kill. They said the nukes kill five hundred thousand people faster than an atomic bomb. So yeah, yeah. I mean they've the mother of all bombs and of course virus warfare which is probably true yeah we can kill a few million people at the drop of a hat so. we could do it we could do it during the crusades greek fire i mean yeah, this, yeah. this has been around a long time and uh i mean hey by the way the world hasn't ended yet so i mean we should just stay out of these things they should stop <laughs> no more greek fire no more nukes like because because i suppose there's got to be some kind of suicidal instinct if i'm going to go carl jung and all this i mean there there's this there's got to be this kamikaze thing like let's use the nukes let's just see what happens i mean we're all going to die anyway i mean well you know again what if what if history does go on forever and and really all that happens is we scorch the earth and destroy lives and just make things harder for our our uh, descendants i mean i, I think I, I, I'm sure somewhere I have royal blood in me, so I would love to be king and just cut all this BS out, you know, by royal <laughs> decree. But, um, you know, I don't know. Like I said, um, it's got to be a small minority banging these war drums. And, you know, I know there's only three of us here, and I think there's a lot of people listening, but I ain't, I ain't for that. And those people do not speak for me. And, well, you know, I'll do whatever I can to live by that. Amen, brother. Mm -hmm. Well, the problem is structures, right? The society is structured in a, like a pyramid style, just like that pyramid that's on our background there. Um, and the people at the top have the m more power. And Putin is rumored to be very sick. And he wants to make his mark before he goes. And he apparently has a lot of power. This is the theory 
And so when you get a situation like that with one guy has got his finger on the button, right? Where's my finger? There it is. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think that's the, that's the, one of the scariest scenarios, right? One guy can launch this, you know, horrendous, horrendous thing. And there's no representation, no democracy. It's just same thing with North Korea. So what do you do with that? And what can you do? Well, that's where you start praying. Right. The higher power, <laughs> you know, somebody over them. Higher power. Yeah. And, and there's, there's actually, let's, let's just break it down to that. You know, whether you want to go mystical with that or practical higher powers, there's always higher powers. We're human. There's always a higher power. And what, one thing that we identified about this world earlier is that it kind of sucks. And one of the things that sucks about it is that we're all going to die. Right. So right, right there, we're all subject to, to some sorts of limitations and um, we all need to remember that. And I, you know, we, we, I think it's completely valid to to pray for um, divine intervention. I, I was just reading some great old hagiography about some some such saint who prayed for something, some disaster to not happen, some sort of political disaster not happen, and the right person happened to die at the right time of natural causes, right? And um, you don't have to wish ill on people. Right, uh, but you do have to pray for the best possible outcome for God's children, right? And uh, I, you know, what am I saying? I don't hey, quite maybe, know. Maybe the aliens, right? <laughs> it could always be them. Yeah. yeah, there's a lore that says the aliens are trying to keep all this from happening. You know, the flying saucers hovering over the missile silos and turning them all off. I'm sure you've heard the stories. Oh, the Ark. By the way, let's celebrate the feast of the Ark alien Michael, right? Because it's Michaelmas the other day. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> right. Yes, yes. Yeah. I my mean, patron call, saying. Call what you will. My patron saying. Yeah. That's exactly right. Yeah. Good point. Awesome. Well, why don't we get back into a little bit of preterism since um, there's a, uh, you mentioned that we can tie a lot of the ideas or some of the ideas to the Nag Hammadi library. Why don't you share a little bit about that, Sean, while, while the earth still stands. We'll go on yes, a puff of smoke. We'll at least connect it to the Nag Hammadi library. You know, I, 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 I do believe, um, the treatise on the resurrection that's a great one mm -hmm. um it, and if you want to get nerdy for a second um in one of the epistles of saint paul in the bible there's this this thing called the heresy of Hymenaeus, who says they said that the resurrection has already happened don't believe them mm -hmm. and um that was you know that was written sometime before ad 70 so it's kind uh -huh. of a checkmate in terms of the prayerist argument however Treatise on the Resurrection, a lot of those um, Nag Hammadi writings are um, late second or early third century. So that's all fair game, right? And right. Um, I, I love that writing because it basically says, you know, the resurrection is a reality and it, it, it overlaps with us. You know, like it's a, what did he say? He said, this life it's so beautiful the way he said. He basically said it would be more true to say that this life is not true than mm -hmm. to say that the resurrection is or isn't true, right? You know, because right. he's saying that's that is the heart of reality, um, and it kind of touches on what Jesus said. You know, um, when the Sadducees questioned him about the the resurrection, he said, 
He said, well, we know it's real because God said, I am the God of Isaac and Jacob and Abraham. God is not the God of the dead, but the living. So it's this, this higher hyper reality uh, in mm. which, you know, life is in its fullness, right? Pleroma, we love that word. So there's so many um, overlaps. And I, I think, you know, that word pleroma, uh, you'll see that used a lot in the Bible. Uh, in the canonical Bible, and that word has an eschatological um, significance, meaning it pertains to the end times in the um, in the New Testament. A lot of times, when they talk about the fullness, they're talking about like the fullness of times, you know, and they're referring to uh, fulfillment, right? Like when all of this comes into its uh, full, when the story is told in full, and. I think when when I read some of the non-Kamadi writings that are, you know, discourses with Jesus and he's talking about eschatological things, like, actually, there's a lot more, uh, like, this is like a very Jewish discourse. They're like, they're asking him very, like, Old Testament prophecy-related questions. And so when he talks about the Pleroma, I'm less convinced than I used to be that he's talking about the Pleroma that, is kind of like the mystical realm of the you know, Barbello kind of thing. Right? Right. I, I think sometimes in what we think are the Gnostic writings, he's talking about the pleroma in an eschatological sense. And uh, there's a few other things like that, that, that I've noticed as, 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 as I'm kind of seeing the Nagamati through this lens. So yeah, I, I kind of notice it. I am not good anymore. I'm so much rustier on, remembering my exact Narakamadi quotes and where each thing is. But there's so much in there that, that really overlaps and, uh, and it's quite beautiful because I would say that here's my little thesis right now, that the Narakamadi uh, represents kind of like folk mysticism uh, in a post-fulfillment church community. So I think mm. it's possible that like full preterists often bang their heads trying to figure out like, well, if this is the proper interpretation of the Bible, then surely the early church believed it, but where's the proof? And they're looking right. in the early church and you see, you see someone like Justin Martyr and Tertullian, some of the earliest classic, they don't believe this stuff. They're, they're Chileists. So they believed that Christ has yet to come. And when he comes, he'll be around for a thousand years. So I'm one of those guys that's going into the preterist community saying, I think you might find what you're looking for in this Nagamati uh, body, because it sounds to me like these people do believe that everything is fulfilled and they're just talking about how to live now. Like they're, you know, especially in the more spiritual writings, like the treatise on the resurrection, where it's just, mm-hmm. it's just mystical. And then uh, it's almost like psychological, you know, mm-hmm. and, and and that's very similar to uh, like Orthodox, Eastern Orthodox uh, mysticism, where they're they're very much concerned with how do you live spiritually in relation to God. Uh, it, yeah, exactly. And then, and then I'm assuming like the Gospel of Thomas, it's more like they keep asking Jesus, "When is the end going to come?" And he said, "Don't go to the end; go to the beginning." Or don't you see it's all around you? Your father's kingdom is all around you. It's your perception that's wrong. If you mm-hmm. just lift the veil, you'll see that everything has been fulfilled. So that that would be preterist, preterist Jesus in the Gospel of Thomas saying, 
your perception is wrong lift the veil the kingdom is already here absolutely and that's that's a very um believe it or not it's a very catholic perspective catholic preterist perspective and it's also um a certain uh, part of the full prayers community's perspective where the idea of the kingdom of god is something that existed from the beginning but it was people's awareness of it that was lost right in the garden mm -hmm. because they chose uh, the path of the tree of knowledge right is usually the approach beautiful interesting stuff right yeah 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 definitely definitely fascinating vance any questions from you or the audience there's a lot of stuff i'm seeing you're right i don't see any right now <laughs> Um, they're we're talking about various things. We're talking about nukes and things. <laughs> yeah. Carried away with the nuke one. People yeah. be drinking. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's like we, we won't be having this discussion if we're full of ashes or you know, <laughs> we're melted against the steel or something like that. So, uh, uh, yeah, for the audience, I have here wanted to share with you guys and maybe sean can talk about it i don't know Oops. Well, i do have one that. question while you're looking for sure. that sure um salvation what a full preterists feel about salvation is it faith works or knowledge or com some combination thereof uh i it's it, it looks a lot to me like the majority of the full preterist um, community they they say faith but i think they're talking about knowledge and that's that's why i also see a um, connection to Gnosticism, not not pure Nagamati Gnosticism, but let me share this this little quote that I shared uh, that really resonated with people in this Polpreteris uh, uh, group. I said the following, I said, I often find myself saying this to folks asking about realized eschatology, which is Polpreterism. I say, mm -hmm. it transforms the gospel from a matter of faith into a matter of knowledge. And I always refer them to Second Peter chapter one's beautiful words about the knowledge of Christ, because in that in that chapter he opens, he says, "Grace and peace be multiplied to you through what the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord." And he goes on to say, "His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through what the knowledge, the gnosis of Him." Who called us by his own glory and excellence and through these he's given us his precious and magnificent promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature now that you have escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires i mean if if that doesn't sound gnostic i don't know what would you know i mean so i i see so much overlap and again that that um statement refers to promises which are prophetic promises and peter's talking about them as if they're for the most part fulfilled so full prayers community in short they would say it's faith and my kind of critique is that it's more knowledge you can call it faith but it's it's a faith based on this idea of like this happened right it's all about revelation the revelation of jesus christ and the idea that the kingdom of god is the body of christ so if christ is revealed then the kingdom is revealed which implies it was hidden at some point right that's super gnostic stuff yeah reminds me of the movement in the 60s you know where the uh, what was it it wasn't i got it or whatever where people were um you know um touting their uh, relationship with christ right mm -hmm. actually 
knowing Christ as opposed to just believing, knowing mm -hmm. versus believing, because faith is a belief, right? Faith, faith mm -hmm. is, uh, of course, we always have to have faith that our knowledge is true, <laughs> that we're not deluded. Right, so, exactly. <laughs> it's a little, it's a structure, right? Yeah, and although it is interesting, some Gnostics like the Sethians would say, yeah, the world, the end of the world happened as soon as Sophia fell and the Demiurge created everything and we're trying to fix that. So it doesn't matter about the temples and all that. We're just floating, trying to reverse the course, as uh, Philip K. Dick would say. But anyway, yeah, I wanted to share with the audience too, or is it, I think it's right here. And this is your book that came out this year, Faith Working Through Love, Volume 1, Inspiring Messages of Freedom and Grace from a Millennial Martha's Vineyard Preacher. Could you tell the audience about your new book? Yes, sir. Uh, it's, it's a collection of sermons, and most of my sermons are all concerned with freedom and grace, right? Because mm -hmm. grace is the... Uh, the sequel to the law of the Old Testament, right? So I talk a lot in terms of uh, pre uh, full preterist fulfillment and how our life is basically meant to be lived independently, you know, responsibly, and in a ministry of grace in terms of trying to be as graceful, forgiving, loving as possible to people. But, you know, I'm also part of why i mentioned a millennial martha's video preacher <laughs> is because we're not exactly known for being responsible um you know and i i take that to heart because you know i'm, I'm a recovering slacker right um so <laughs> you know I, I think my generation uh we we really need a, a little bit of uh discipline and responsibility uh to counter our bleeding hearts because we do have bleeding hearts and mm -hmm. i think we got we got grace down and we think we got freedom down, but that but we're kind of libertines. And the re reason we don't really have freedom down is, is because we don't have um, enough of a sense of responsibility, right? Because your freedom means nothing if, if it's kind of getting in other people's way, right? And millennials are kind of known for getting in people's ways, right? So, you know, I'm, you know that's kind of what that's about. And also... I was super concerned with with freedom and grace because I was pushed into the pulpit in, in the heat of the pandemic, and mm. I, I was ministering to a um, I was half ministering to a small church of five people who are all elderly who for various reasons like wanted to meet and risk their health, and uh, and then we were filming the sermons for the rest of the broader community who. Frankly, out here, people were terrified. I mean, some people really? are still not really uh, emerging, uh, you know, and uh, call that what you will. But, you know, I was really trying to be encouraging to people uh, that, you know, you know, you got, you got to take your own risks and you don't have to take right. any risks if you don't want to. But, you know, there there are other things in life that might be important that you might miss out on if, if you're not um, – if you're hiding, uh, and if and if you're hiding because you're afraid, then you're not free, right? So that's what I was trying to preach. You know, like there, there, freedom needed to be preached at the time. Uh, it always does, but it really needed to be preached in 2020 and 2021. Yeah, I agree with you that too. And with the the thing with the 
immigrants and all that. Was your church involved a couple of weeks ago? Was it last week or? Yes and no, uh, like mainly no. Uh, so those folks came unexpectedly and uh, a, a church down in Edgartown took them all in. And that was St. Andrew's Episcopal Church. Uh, and they normally head up the uh, homeless ministries in the winter. So they have the facilities. Mm. Uh, what One of the, one of the things that, you know, DeSantis was trying to troll us on was, you know, the wealth and the resources that we kind of have here. But the other issue is that we also have a housing crisis, right? So really? he, he was trolling us because he knew that the community was not going to hold on to the, these, uh, these migrants. They, he knew that they were going to be booted out quickly, you know? And what I say is, you know, everybody's news looks fake left and right looks fake because if you call DeSantis like a human trafficker for doing that, well, you look hypocritical because the vineyard sent people off too. Um, but also if the right wingers call the vineyard racist for doing it, it's like, well, you want to deport them too. You know, it's, it just shows how <laughs> short sighted these narratives are. And it's just all one upmanship. Um, it is. But I I'll tell you, I mean, one thing that the vineyard does great is take care of its community. And while they're here, they did everything they could to take care of them. But I have a feeling, I don't know this, but I have a feeling part of why they were centralized was probably related to the entire program of getting them processed. Cause I think the vineyard uh, was, tr you know, trying, trying to keep them in one place so that no one wandered off and that they could get processed and go through yeah. the whole thing. And uh, I do know, I mean, pretty much everyone was falling over themselves to try to offer some sort of help and, people we were all turned away very early on I, mean, I think they raised someone raised like 43 grand for them within a few hours you know um and you know that's that's the way it works around here you know like everyone who lives here year-round we're pretty much working class we have a lot of empty houses were right. any of those houses uh offered up uh i actually don't know um i, I have no idea um but you know, it, it was a great, it was a good prank. <laughs> I, I got I honestly, I got to give DeSantis credit. It's like, it was a great bit of uh, political theater. He proved his point. And what, you know, what I try to say to people is like, listen, we were able to raise 43 grand in a few hours and we're able to put them in a nice, uh, like a housing situation briefly and, you know, all this great stuff, but we panicked, you know, cause there was 50 of them. Like, what do you think is going to happen on the border when there's thousands of them? And they don't have the ability to raise that much money that quickly, you know. So let's stop playing these political games and try to like hold hands a little more, you know. Because you know whatever whatever you want to think, whether you want to be suspicious of migrants or not, like you just you got to respect the human fact of, of what's going on. What you know is it an invasion? If if you want to think so, sure. But also these are people who came. They're going to be tired and. I don't know. You know, I always say it's like if someone shows up in your house, you're naturally going to be suspicious if they came in without knocking. But mm -hmm. that doesn't mean it, all it means is you're still responsible. You're still stuck with being the guy whose house they came to. And you got to make a you got to make the right decision, you know, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah and yeah. it does. Uh, it does show, too. Uh, we're talking about nukes and war. When Americans want, we can be the most compassionate people in the world. We can just make mountains move and help others and like lightning speed. The question of just coming together for higher purpose, for 
like you said, peace, for wisdom, for all these things, you know, we could, no need for poverty or hunger or all that stuff. We could definitely do it. But yeah, again, we, uh, we do live under the hypnotic spell of these tyrant angels who tell us, you know, look at your phone, drink your alcohol, watch your TV, blame others, divide and conquer. That's the big one too. Instead of pointing fingers, maybe work together for those who are in need, the powerless, the hungry, those about to get nuked, the rest of humanity. So, but anyway, I am, uh, I'm going on a tangent here. So yeah, awesome. So your book is your sermons and freedom is very important. As I like to say, there's nothing selfish about freedom. Freedom is the natural state of any human being that is uh reached the higher realms that wants expanded consciousness and uh and uh yeah your youtube channel uh what's the name of your youtube channel workman's i'll have it in the song. show notes but it's yeah. a workman song everything everything i do online is workman song as in work man song and all my music is listed spotify uh, instagram mm -hmm. is kind of the easiest way to uh follow slash reach me everything's there I, I put all the music all the sermons all that stuff on the same channel branding nightmare yeah <laughs> oh it happens it does happen and yes uh vance i thought i saw somebody with one last question yeah there there is a question findo yeah. wanted to know if uh christ's historical existence uh is necessary for salvation um presumably you know in the context of preterism yeah yeah in the oh, to answer your question in the context of preterism, yes, and uh, you know, obviously that's my personal conviction. But um, if if he's asking the technical question in, in terms of how the preterist um, uh, system works, depth, most yeah. Depth. Now here's here's one too. Um, th this is uh, Joe Moms had a question, but I'm going to kind of rephrase it because um, Joe Moms um, uh, mentioned the. Uh, the, the fact that in Genesis, there's kind of two forms of God, you know, Genesis chapter one, Genesis chapter two, with the Elohim, and then the, uh, then, then the Lord Jehovah sort of in, in chapter two. And um, how is that looked at in, in the uh, preterist, through the preterist eye? There, there's actually some interesting stuff there, um, because some people look at the uh, accounts of Genesis, uh, full preterist, some do... Um, look at it as an account of uh, covenant history. So they would say that um, the, the creation of the world and the creation of man wasn't necessarily the, you know, billions upon billions of years ago type of concept, but more it was like the, the beginning of the kingdom of God, which may have been like unto the establishment of the kingdom of Israel, you know, basically a mythologized, uh, national founding story of some sort. So th that's an interesting trope you can follow. Um, but aside from that, you know, like I, what you're referring to, I think is the, the distinction between the Elohim account versus the Yahweh account. Um, and whether those are separate because uh, some of the Gnostic commentary takes that approach. I, I haven't ever seen full preterist tackle that distinction as, as being significant. Because uh, you know, there's there's a lot of material out there that harmonizes those accounts well. Um, like I, I know Dr. Taylor Marshall and Scott Hahn, who are Catholic writers, they do some clever 
uh, exegesis that harmonized those two accounts well that that helped me because for a long time I couldn't see how those were reconciled and what the significance of the different names of God were. And mm-hmm. I even thought that, you know, I initially thought there was kind of an inconsistency. It's like, oh, in the first account, doesn't it say man is created on one day, but then the next, it seems like it's a different thing and that there's like different plants at different times. And there are some clever people who pointed out that actually they're, they're a lot more aligned than, than it might appear at first. So yeah. I you you know, know, recommend anyone checking any of that stuff out. Yeah. There, there's one thing that always bugged me, which is the boundary between chapter one and chapter two has been messed with. There's no question when you read it, you can see that they moved it up to try to merge the two chapters to make them read like they're kind of one account, but there's definitely a boundary there, but it's not at the chapter boundary. Absolutely. So, well, I think, I think one, one thing that I've picked up, uh, like in new England where again, Christianity is not a foregone conclusion. Like it seems to be in the Bible belt. So, you know, everyone kind of up here assumes that Christians think that the Bible is one book written by God. And I know, there are Christians out there who believe that, but, you know, as far as I know, and the, the circles I've traveled in, you know, it's pretty clear to most people, this is a piecemeal assembly of a lot of different right. stories that, that were assembled and, you know, copied down by scribes. And it's definitely not a linear story. You know, it's, it's no. not a novel. It's just a collection, you know, um, and it's not a manual either, which, which can be very <laughs> frustrating to a lot of people. And, you know, how are we, how are we supposed to learn the meaning of life from, from a collection of stories? Right. Um, it, it seems absurd, but at the same time, people write novels for a reason too. And it's because we do want to, <laughs> We do want to find meaning, and we can find meaning in stories. So, sure. they had more time to think too back then. I'm sure. Yeah, I mean, Less you distractions. know, it is it is a wild thing. I mean, like you know, but from my point of view, the study I've done, pretty much, you know, all of it checks out in terms of what the prophets said when they said it, and then what came true later. Like we know. We have copies of the prophecies of Daniel that predate Jesus Christ's advent by about a hundred years. So we know that they didn't they didn't write prophecies that looked Christian after Christ came. Like right. we, at least we at least for sure had the prophecies of Daniel um, in a hundred BC still saying that Christ would come five hundred years after the call to rebuild Jerusalem, which is when Christ Jesus came, right? So what someone once said about the Bible is like, it's a great story. If you can actually figure out what the story, like it, what the narrative is linearly, but it took a really long time to tell it. And one of, one of the best arguments for its credibility is how on earth could you have predicted in, you know, in 500 BC that, this massive story would play out in 500 years with the coming of this dude from Nazareth who would just t- turn the world upside down, you know, like whether you like him or not, like Louis CK said, like it's 2022. Right. So it's, it's, it's a remarkable, strange thing that to me is like the glitch in the matrix. It's like, okay, this something is scripted here. There's something that's very 
unusual like as 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 much chaos as there is which there is there's also like there's some programming too you know and uh i i choose to you know see the light in that um but it's it's remarkable it's 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 an artifact that is miraculous and if you don't think it's miraculous it's definitely strange and i think it's like nuts that people can just ignore that like you know but but that's why we're talking because we're the type of people that are just like what like that we like we just live we live in a world where that's the story like how can we not look at that that's nuts <laughs> you know gotta look at that gotta look at everything yeah you gotta yeah. look at it yeah got a light okay still got twin things <laughs> no. on my head yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like got a light all right well awesome yeah for the audience uh don't have any uh good not a lot of housekeeping uh next we will be having an uh, ab live this weekend where we will have the great uh also reverend uh jonathan barlow he'll be talking the gnosis of time travel so get ready Put on different hats, scientific, metaphysical, and join us because Jonathan is always takes us on some great rides. And then, yes, uh, next week we will probably I'll have be releasing a show on Twin Peaks, a mini course on Twin Peaks. So uh, get ready for David Lynch too. It's going to be a blast. So and a lot of good shows. We'll have some Halloween content on UFOs, witches. and all those other scary mythical creatures, maybe even Eskimos. I don't know. We'll see. But uh, oh, look, it's uh, Jasmine. Uh, she was asking on Twitter to make sure we were clear. Jasmine, I hope we were clear on what uh, preterism is. So um, I think we made the case, and I think it's a good case, and it's a fascinating case. But uh, yeah. We are at the end. For those of you in the audience, thank you always for your great uh, for your great comments and questions. Sorry we had to talk about nukes, but uh, it seemed we ain't talking enough about it right now. The way the world is, but uh, yep. let's keep it, let's keep it going. But uh, yeah, first Vance, thanks for keeping us company. I hope you had enough uh, salt preter. Uh, that was my attempt at a pun. Sorry. <laughs> oh boy. Well, you know. I, I, I learned a lot, and it was great hanging out with Sean, wasn't it? So um, l- love your energy, um, love your information. So keep up the good work. Thank you. Always great seeing you guys. I mean, it was great to be back on, but I listen to you all the time. So you awesome, guys keep yeah. it up. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah, definitely. Let's not wait another Come eight on. years. Let's get you back. And, uh, yeah, sooner rather than later. Well, Sean, thank you very much. And to everybody, as I say, thanks for being here. Thanks for being yourself, your true self, here in the desert of the real. And uh, hello and goodbye. As always, write your own gospel, live your own myth. Good night, everybody. One, two, one, two, three. I'll cut your throat if you squeeze mine.